Man, how are you guys doing this morning? Yeah, doing well? Man, it feels like, uh, feels like I haven't been up here in quite some time. I think it's been a little, almost two weeks, something like that, right? So, uh, man, if you're new, my name is Marco. I am the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community. Thank you guys so much for joining us this morning. Really excited about our text, mainly because uh, I was fortunate enough to have God wrestle, me wrestle with this text throughout the whole week. Um, here's what we're going to do. We're going to find ourselves in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 3 through 16. Now, this is a really big uh, chunk of Scripture, and so uh, we're just going to walk through it because that's what we do. We go verses by, verse by verse, and uh, we do a lot of books. And so uh, let me tell you a little bit about where we've been. Let me give you kind of a short recap. Let me tell you where we're going. I'll read, and then we'll, we'll, jump, into, uh, we'll jump into our time this morning. And so we're beginning, well, actually, uh, let me say it this way. We've started this series uh, several weeks ago, The Righteous Will Live by His Faith, a study in Habakkuk, and we're beginning to land the plane in our time of Habakkuk. So we're going to cover verses 3 through 16 this morning, and then next week is our last uh, sermon in this series. Uh, I believe we're covering verses 17 through 19. Habakkuk has been a trip. I have loved it. It has been uh, just a wonderful book to study. It's been incredibly challenging. I hope you've experienced some of those uh, challenges yourself and see God work in and through you. Uh, But in addition to that, as we close and finish off with Habakkuk in two weeks, we're actually going to find ourselves starting a new sermon series in the book of Philippians. And so we'll talk more about that later. Uh, That's just to give you a little bit about where we're headed. Now, let me tell you where we've been. So there's this guy, his name is Habakkuk, and he is a prophet of God. And so that means that he has been not only chosen, but called by God to preach repentance to a people who is ultimately rejecting God. Now, the trippy part about this is that we don't see any of that in this book. In fact, we get this very personal, um, we get this personal and behind the scenes look at Habakkuk and his life. And as he wrestles with things that God has called him to, or as he wrestles with things that God is doing, we see him put this in a giant journal entry, which is the book of Habakkuk. So it's almost like we're getting a glance into his personal journal, getting to hear his thoughts, getting to hear his struggles, getting to hear how he's wrestling with truths, wrestling with what God is doing. It's been really cool because you don't see that kind of behind the scenes interaction with God with the other prophets. Prophets. Now, <clears throat> what we saw in chapter 1, we saw a really troubled Habakkuk, not really sure about what God is doing, and at the same time wondering why God isn't doing anything. Essentially, what's happening is that the people are rebelling against God, they are rejecting God, they are, fi- uh, they are, are following their idols in worship, and Habakkuk is crying out to God, how long are you going to wait until you do something? And why aren't you doing anything about it? Right? Which tends to be the the cry of our hearts many times. God responds to him and ultimately tells him, if I tell you what I'm actually going to do, you're going to trip out. And then back it does. Right? God responds to him to tell him what his plan is. Habakkuk then responds once again 
to God. And what we are seeing is a change of the condition of Habakkuk's heart, where he was very frustrated. He is very unsure and uncertain of what is going to happen. Now we see him turning to the character of God. Now we see him kind of look away from the circumstance and look toward what God is doing and ultimately what God has done. Chapter two was kind of the turning point for Habakkuk, where he's beginning to see what God is doing and ultimately just waiting upon him. And now we find ourselves in chapter three, which uh, Pastor Chris from Harlingen, uh, Logos Harlingen, preached last week, did an awesome job. He kind of started chapter three, talking about verses one through two, where we are seeing Habakkuk and the condition of his heart ultimately come to a place of resolution. And so that's where we're going to find ourselves today. We're looking at verses 3 through 16. That is a giant condensed uh, review of our time in Habakkuk. Now, here's what I'll say. One of the things that we saw Habakkuk do in chapter 1 is what I want to review on very quickly, because that's applying exactly to what he is doing in this section of Scripture. Back in chapter 1, one of the things that we saw Habakkuk do in his second response is that he appealed first to the character of God. And what we looked at was uh, actually uh, kind of a formula, if you want to say it, maybe some advice from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones when he says uh, he gave four things to do when you're ultimately confronted with a problem, an issue, uncertainty. He says, stop and think. That's number one. Number two, restate basic principles. Number three, apply the principles to the problem. And then finally, number Number four, if we still have doubt, commit the problem uh, to God in faith. Those are the four things that Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says to do when we're ultimately faced with a dilemma, a hard circumstance, situation, the whole whole nine. We're going to see Habakkuk do that again in this section. Now, if you want to learn a little bit more about those four things, you can go back to that sermon. It's online. Check it out. Uh, But what we're going to see is Habakkuk do these four things once again. Okay, so here's what we'll do. I'm going to pray, or excuse me, I'm going to read this whole section, right? Faith comes by hearing, so it's a long section. We're going to endure this together, and then I'm just going to jump into our time. Here we go. This is beginning of verse 3. We're going all the way to verse 16. And so he writes, God came from Teman, and the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him, when pestilence and plague followed at his heels, he stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your hours, arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare and from thigh to neck. 
You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we uh, man, walk into this time, as we walk into this time of man, hearing your word preached, Lord, I pray that I would be set aside. I pray that your name would be glorified. I pray that hearts would be stirred and affected uh, with conviction that would ultimately lead us to change, that would ultimately lead us to fall on our knees and worship you worship you and see how much we are actually in need of you. I pray that this time would not just enlighten us, but that it would draw us closer to you. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, here we go. I got a question for you. Actually, I got several questions. It's the same one. I'm just going to ask it differently. You don't have to answer this. Please don't answer this right now, right? Let me just say it this way, okay? How do you respond to fear? Now, notice, I didn't say, do you fear? Because then somebody would give some smart answer, right? I don't don't want that. How do you respond to fear? Here's another way of saying it. When you feel fear, what do you do with it? Everybody feels it, but everybody manifests it differently, right? Which leads into the third way of asking it, right? How does fear manifest itself in your life? I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a, a heavy question, but I want, you to, I want you to work it. I want you to wrestle with it. When you feel fear, how do you respond to it? Let's look at five ways in which we typically respond to fear. Now, these aren't the only five ways, right? I'm by no means am I this expert, but we're just going to go through a couple of them. Here are five ways in which we respond to fear, and then I'll give you an example on, on how I do it. First one is resignation. In other words, when you feel fear, when it comes up, when you have this fear, whatever it is, you back out. And I'm not talking about distancing yourself relationally. I'm talking about you quit whatever it is that you're doing. Perhaps you put blame on others. You quit working on whatever it is you were supposed to work on. Not like it was a project. Maybe it was a relationship. You just quit. All right? You back out. You stop doing what you need to be doing. You stop pursuing whatever it is you need to be pursuing. You just quit. It's another way of saying it. You just quit. Maybe that's how you respond to fear. The second way, or another way, is detachment. Right? Detachment is where you physically separate yourself from people and then emotionally disconnect from them. Right? Maybe you, uh, you, you'll blame it on being an introvert. I mean, you go hide in your corner, you go hide in your cave, you do your thing, whatever it is. But ultimately what you are doing is you are physically separating yourself from others and you're emotionally disconnecting from them. Maybe that's you. Maybe detachment is your thing. Number three is pride. Maybe fear manifests itself in you in the form of pride. Especially when there is a hard, 
a circumstance before you or a problem or something is going on, it manifests itself in pride. All I got to do is pull myself up by my bootstraps. I got to figure this out. You ultimately become self-reliant. Maybe that's how you respond to fear. All right. The fourth one is control. Maybe you respond to fear in light of control. You got to control situations. You got to control people. You got to control circumstances, uh, solutions, how things are going to happen, the results of them. You respond with control. Right? Or maybe the fifth one. The fifth one being anger. Maybe you respond to fear and anger. You say really foolish and dumb things. Uh, you do foolish and make unwise decisions. Right? You're just angry. You're angry at people. You're angry at the circumstance. And maybe it comes out in your language. Maybe it comes out in your decision making. Or maybe both. How do you respond to fear? And how does it manifest itself? A sixth one that I didn't put up there. Another one is projection, where you project your fear onto other people. You project your fear, your anxiety, right? This is, you could look at this as a, as a way of gossip, but ultimately you pull people in and you project your fear, you project your anxiety on what's going on, rallying them around you for the sake of you not having fear. How do you respond to fear? I'll tell you how I respond to fear. I respond to fear with control. All right, that's, that's my thing. So let me give you kind of a, an example to put a little bit of context onto, onto these different ways. So about a month ago, no, no, I'm lying, maybe three months ago, uh, my wife's, this is still a complicated situation. So my, my wife, Rebecca, she knows about all this. Uh, just because she's not here, I'm not like just dumping my stuff on you. Uh, <laughs> uh, about three months ago, my, my wife's, I don't know if I can say this well. I'm working through it. Former stepdaughter, her stepdaughter at one point began to reach out. Her name is Savannah. And she began to reach out and ultimately uh, asking if she could be a part of our lives again. There were, there were things that had happened in the past, uh, unwise decisions that were not only made, but things that were said that ultimately left us disconnected. And it's been a couple of years. Uh, Rebecca at one point uh, raised her throughout her entire childhood, so they were very, very close. Savannah is also Chungo's uh, half-sister. So she reaches out, and she says, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to, you know, have a relationship again, right? And the thing about it is, I could see my wife's heart in all of this, right? Her heart's broken because she wants to, she wants to reconnect, she wants to see what's going on and how we can ultimately help even minister to her and her family. Uh, this is her husband, Dave, and their, their, their very beautiful five-month-old. Her name is Delilah, who's starting to melt my heart. Um, and so, <laughs> so that's going on, right? As Savannah begun, becomes, uh, begins to come into our lives, we go to dinner. We go to dinner, and it's just the four of us, right? Because I want to be cautious. I want to protect my family. Uh, I want to make sure things are, are going as well as they can be. And so we go to dinner, and right before we walk into the restaurant, right before we walk into the restaurant, I'm very optimistic about this conversation. And then the minute I see her, my guard goes up, and I am probably, you know, I was very rude in that, in that meeting. I said what I needed to say, uh, made things very clear, 
and, uh, and then was ready to just walk away. Since then, I've apologized. Since then, I've apologized, and, and I try to uh, talk to Savannah weekly, see how she's doing, see how her and her husband are doing, all that jazz. Throughout all of this, Seth and I start having a conversation. And so I'm trying to be guarded because I'm masking this entire thing with protection. Right? I'm protecting my family, I'm protecting my son, which I am. I'm not going to knock it, I am. You know what I mean? But I, I make that the priority. And so Seth starts sharing his feelings. Sean was telling me about how he's feeling. And that just leads me into like tearing up and I'm crying. And I ultimately just share my burden, my fear with him, ultimately sharing my fear, my burden with Rebecca. And the fear that I had, and one of the things I told Seth was, I said, my fear is that for, for mom, she has her daughter back. You have your sister back and you don't need me anymore. Right? Like I'm, my time is done. And so that just wrecked him, and it wrecked me, and we're crying all this stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and so I tell Rebecca about all of that. We walk through it. We walk through a bunch of things, and I still, I still wrestle with that. But in that whole thing, throughout this whole season, upon many occasions, when my fear spikes up, I will ma- it will manifest itself with control. I control the conversation. I control when we meet, where we meet, what we say, what we don't say, all of these other things. And I mask it with protection. I'm protecting my family. I'm protecting my son and my wife and their hearts. And that's true. I am. And I'm also just banking on that so that I don't get hurt. Because at the, at the bottom of it, right, the root of it all is that I'm left out. For some of you, at the root of your fear, it could be something else. It could be pride. It could be rejection. It could be several things. And so that's how it manifests itself in my life. Now, when we walk through sermons, especially this one today, oftentimes we're looking at two, two things when walking through a sermon. You're looking at application, right? Like that's where we get super practical. This is what you should do, and this is how you should do it, as we've seen in God's Word. And I know some of you love that. You're like, yes, just tell me what to do. And that's awesome. But then sometimes we need to look at implication. Implication is where we are just reminded of what we need to believe, not just what we need to do. And implication also applies to application, but in this case, we're singling it out. That in this text, God is reminding us of what to do because of who we are. He's reminding us of what to do because of who we are. You see, the seventh way in which we can respond to fear is the way that Habakkuk responds to fear. He responds to fear with worship. He responds to fear with worship. That's essentially all of chapter 3 is a giant prayer and psalm. And this is where Habakkuk encounters and confronts his fear. He doesn't deny it. He doesn't like store it deep down. He doesn't avoid it. He actually acknowledges it and he turns to what he knows in his fear. He turns to worship. He turns to worship. And so for chapter 3 in this section, we're going to break his worship down into three sections. Spending the most time probably on the first two. The first, the first section being the character and the glory of God. The second one being the faithfulness of God. These are two things in which Habakkuk reminds himself in, in light of his fear. 
Now, what I would say before we jump into those sections, don't, if you, as we talk about fear, don't suppress it. Don't be like, man, that's, the, that's just something I don't, I don't talk about. We're going to talk about it. Because it's real. And you manifest it in some way. Right? So let's not ignore it. We've talked about this when we were walking through our identity series. We were just saying, hey, we're going to put everything on the table. That's what we're going to do. We're going to put everything on the table. This past week, I was uh, out of town. James and I were, and we were a part of a cohort with a couple of other pastors where uh, (laughs) the, the whole week we were talking about emotional health. And this is something that came up. So you're seeing all these big dudes just like tear up and cry over their fears, over what is going on and what the underlying factor of it is. Now, here's the thing. I think we can look at that group, or I think many would look at that group and say, that's a group of pastors, that's what they do. But what I'm here to just remind you of is that's just a group of men. So especially for you dudes, don't suppress this, right? Don't get stiff-necked, stop bowing your chest up. Nobody's impressed, okay? So as we look at this, we're going to remind ourselves of the character and the glory of God and the faithfulness of God. So this is what Habakkuk does in light of the character of God. What Habakkuk does is that he walks through the history of his people and God's involvement in their lives. And through this, through this psalm, we see three things arise, right? Where Habakkuk, you could look at this, this is uh, verses 3 through through 12, What Habakkuk does is that he begins to talk about everything that God has done. Now, he's being very poetic in how he writes about it, but he is ultimately identifying and addressing several parts of history in which God was involved. Everything from him coming down in Sinai to the Exodus to uh, keeping the sun and moon still in Joshua. He is recounting all of the things God has done. And so what he does is it leads him to these three areas, or it leads us to these three areas of of the character and the glory of God. It reminds us that God rescues. That's number one, that God rescues. You see, the stunning revelation of this God is that he actually comes and rescues and saves his people. That he not only dwells among them, which I think would have been enough, but he not only dwells among them, but he is actually involved in their life. What makes him so unique in his transcendence is that he is personal. That God is personal and involved. That if you belong to Jesus, your life is marked by the fingerprints of his involvement. That's number one, that God rescues. Number two, that God promises We can go all the way back to Genesis 3. We looked at this during Holy Week. It was called the Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel where God tells Adam and Eve, I am sending someone to come in. I am sending someone one day to save you, to rescue my people. Right? And so what Habakkuk is ultimately falling back on is the sovereignty of God. Because he has seen the sovereignty of God throughout all of history. And so it is not only a comfort, but it is also a reminder of God's involvement, of God's promises, and of God's pursuit of his people. Earlier in Habakkuk, even though there's an oncoming invasion, 
One of the things that Habakkuk says is that we will surely not die because God has said he will pursue and save his people. Number three, Habakkuk looks at God's holiness. Now this one's, this one's a little hard to, to, to swallow, God's holiness, because what Habakkuk does is in this prayer, he appeals to God. He appeals to God as someone who not only belongs to him, but as a sinner. He appeals to his holiness. Let me tell you about God's holiness, right? Justice and mercy are intricately connected to God's holiness. They are, without a doubt, connected to his holiness. You and I love to separate those two. When someone offends us, we want justice for them, but mercy for us. Right? As long as they get punished and I get some mercy, because I'm, I'm a good guy. You're not. Right? Habakkuk appeals to God's holiness. He said this in verse 2 as Pastor Chris walked through it. In your wrath, remember mercy. That doesn't mean that his people aren't going to be disciplined. He is just appealing to him as a sinner because he is aware that he does not deserve the mercy of God. He is not separate from the other people. It's not an us versus them. It's God and bad guys, and some of those bad guys are repentant. Some of them aren't. So he appeals to his holiness. I think oftentimes when we appeal to God's holiness or when we think about God's holiness, we think that he is distant and that things like his justice and his mercy are, those are up for debate. They're not. They are not up for debate as they are intricately connected to his holiness. And so those are the three things that Habakkuk is, is uh, ultimately connecting to the character of God, that he rescues, that he promises, and that he is ultimately holy. And that leads us into the second section of his prayer. He goes up to the faithfulness of God. So he stops and he thinks, he appeals and he reflects on the character and the glory of God that even though there's an invasion coming, God is going to receive all of the glory in this. And because of that, I can appeal now to his faithfulness. And the crux of his faithfulness is displayed in verse 13 where he writes, you went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed He's just saying that God is the one who saves. That salvation belongs to him. That we are saved by his grace and through faith. And when he goes on to say that your, your salvation, your anointed, in the Hebraic translation, your anointed is not plural, it's singular. He's talking about someone. He's talking about the one the one who is coming, the one who will ultimately conquer sin and death. That in his fear, as he worships, what Habakkuk does is he looks toward the cross. He looks toward the cross to the one who will ultimately come to save his people and ultimately endure the wrath of God so that we might have mercy. That's who he's looking toward. In addition to that, he goes on to say, you crush the head of the house of the wicked. The head of the house of the wicked, also in the same translation, is not plural. He's talking about one. 
He's talking about one who is wicked. The wicked one, Satan. He's saying that this anointed one is going to come. That he will not delay. He will come and conquer sin, death, the wrath of God, and ultimately Satan and his demons. And his name is Jesus. That he's who he's appealing to. He is looking to the hope. He finds hope even in his fear because he knows there is one that is coming. And he knows that God is faithful because he just finished reflecting on the character and glory of God. He knows it. Even though he will endure some, some wrath, he knows that God is coming. Look to, uh, this is Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 36 through 39. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. This is what the writer says. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Habakkuk reflects on the character of God so that he can find hope in the faithfulness of God. Right? And as he does this, it leads us into verse 16. I think, honestly, I was really considering 13 being the kind of the crux of our time, but verse 16, I think, is the crux of our time because, uh, man, it just deals with fear. So I'll, I'll read it. I'll read the whole thing one more time. This, this section. He says, I hear and my body trembles. Now that's, that's interesting because, man, he just reflected on the character of God. He is putting his hope in the faithfulness of God. What I love is that he's just being honest. This dude has been honest this entire book, just laying everything out on the, on the table. Uh, so he knows, he hears, and still his body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. We can have victory over our weakness, just like Habakkuk. You see, in that verse 16, in that prayer, Habakkuk addresses his weakness and his fear. And in his fear... He turns to God who can, will, and does save his people. He rejoices in the coming of the Lord. He knows he is coming. What you and I do is that we now can rejoice in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and at his second coming where he will reclaim his bride, the church. And finally, he turns to worship. He turns to worship. Now, I don't want to say I'll admit but it may not necessarily sound like the most practical thing, but really, how often do you turn to worship in your fear? I mean, if we're honest, how often do you turn to worship in your fear? What I love about Habakkuk is that he doesn't make excuses. You don't get it. You don't understand. If you were only in my shoes, this dude was about to endure an invasion. In his fear, he turns to worship. 
Yet later on throughout history, Jesus did the same thing. You remember? In the Garden of Gethsemane? Right? Where he feels the absolute burden that he's about to endure the cross. Hebrews says that he endured it with joy. That doesn't mean he was happy. That he endured it with joy. That he was going to endure the wrath of the Father on the cross. And so what do we see him do in Gethsemane other than sweat drops of blood? He turns to the Father and he prays. He cries out to the Father in his, in his time of struggle. He cries out to the Father in light of what's about to happen. Habakkuk isn't some dude that's, that's special. He's no different than us. Yet in his fear, he turned to worship. In Jesus' fear, he turned to the Father. Man, if we would be a people like that, man, could you imagine, man, the glory that God would receive? And so if you, if you haven't heard anything, because it's been a lot, if you haven't heard anything, hear this. In fear, we are separated from God. But in faith, we are secured by God. Say it one more time. In fear, we are separated from God. And in faith, we are secured by him. If you belong to Jesus, then Jesus has endured the wrath of God for you. He has endured and is sympathetic to the fear that you feel. He didn't die on the cross and he didn't live the life that he led so that upon calling us to himself, he would then say, go figure it out. Hebrews says that we have a high priest who sympathizes with us. So when you feel that fear, I didn't ask if, when you feel that fear, remember, not just worship, but that you have been freed from it because the Son has already been punished on your behalf. The Son has already endured the wrath so that you would receive mercy. You were freed from it. If you don't know Jesus, then the wrath of God is still upon you. But he offers you salvation. By confessing and repenting of your sin, upon doing that, you receive forgiveness, you receive mercy, and you receive security. And what I mean by security isn't like, man, this is a get-out-of-hell-free card, but that you now belong to him. That you are what Peter says, his prized possession. Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we close our time, Lord, I pray that uh, in, this, in this time of prayer, you know, now as we go into tithes and offerings, as we go into communion, all that, Lord, I pray that this time would not be wasted. Man, that we would be, uh, I think it's corny, but that we would be authentic, that we would be real and put everything on the table.
that we would put our fear on the table. And before we choose to respond to that fear in an unhealthy, unbiblical way, Lord, my prayer is that we would turn to worship, that we would turn to worship you right now. To remind ourselves of the gospel, that is the the life and the death and the resurrection of your son Jesus, that he endured the cross so that we might receive mercy, that in fear we are separated from you, but in faith we are secured by you. And Lord, as we transition into a time of tithes and worship, or excuse me, tithes and offerings, this is where we continue to worship you by giving you our stuff. This is where we give you our stuff so that one, we're not tied down by it. Two, that we would make much of your name for the sake of your glory because of your goodness and your kindness. And so Lord, I pray that we would give sacrificially And if everything is affected by the gospel, that I pray that we would give sacrificially just as your son gave himself sacrificially. And so Lord, we just thank you for this time. Again, Lord, I pray that these moments aren't wasted, but that we would actually wrestle with them and come before you um, and confess some of these things, work through these things. Uh, and that your Holy Spirit would not just make us alive, but also remind us of who we are first. Before we get to, to, to work, remind us of who we are first. And we ask all these things in your, your son's name. Amen.